Futureproof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Felipe Tomas, Professor of Marketing at Said Business School. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Future Proof. Today I'm joined by Melissa Hensbury, Director and Client Leadership, as well as Stephen DeMarco, Chief Digital Officer of Cantar Insights in North America. And today we're talking about color bravery. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to work here on color bravery? Thanks again for hosting Melissa and I. She and I are like a great new team that has emerged this year. I haven't known each other beforehand. I don't want to speak for her, but I feel like we wish that we could work more together and we're looking for more opportunities to work together. I actually came into Cantar uh, through TNS through an acquisition. My specialty is understanding how online consumer behavior impacts brands, sales, and brand equity metrics, specifically looking at how people use websites and traverse websites to make purchase decisions. So that was a company that was called Compete and it came into Cantar through TNS. And now I oversee the product portfolio and product marketing strategy for Cantar Insights in North America. I've blossomed from purely online shopping to cross-platform, cross-channel attitudes and behaviors. And what about you, Melissa? What got you into this team? We started working together this year, a director within the client leadership team. I'm out of the Atlanta office and I have had a passion for really understanding more about inclusion and identity insights. Previously, I've worked with major CPG companies on their multicultural advertising and engagement there. So it really made sense for Stephen and I to partner on this and to work on the Color Bravery article together. I, I neglected to mention the impetus, the personal side of how this came together is one weekend in May, I sent a text message out to my family, nieces and nephews about a TV show that was coming on that I was really excited about. And it was a concert between John Hyatt and Lyle Lovett. What I hadn't recognized was that my text went out 
almost at the same time that the George Floyd story was kind of coming into the national conscious. My niece, who self-identifies as Black, took me to task and took my family to task on not recognizing what's going on, not listening, not paying attention, and not talking about it. So that really was kind of a jolt to me and got me committed to writing these stories with Melissa. That does speak a lot to a moment in time, right? Uh, And something perhaps relatively unique to what's happening now. But the color bravery idea and the concept here coming from Kantar, I don't believe is particularly new, right? So what does that color bravery mean? What is it about now and this period in time that makes it matter more, perhaps? You're absolutely right. The color bravery idea and concept is not a new one. Melody Hobson actually introduced the idea in 2014 during a TED Talk, Colorblind or Color Brave. And what's interesting is within her TED Talk, she discusses the difference between being colorblind and being color brave. And I think that for us, most of us, we tend to function in a place of colorblindness. So where we say things like, I don't see color, that doesn't matter to me. I think we project on a world that we want to live in, a world where we don't focus about race. But I think that what's important and why we have to be color brave instead of color blind is that there are a lot of disparities that have come from race and we have to understand that and instead of ignoring it in order to move to a place where race isn't an issue and we are all seen as equal. I think for our clients and for us as humans, it's really important to understand how we got here and the history of marketing and advertising and why colorblindness and color bravery is so important to our industry. As consultants to the world's largest brands and agencies and media companies, we have a responsibility at Cantar to help them make sure that their messaging and the content that they put out in the market has a positive impact on culture and society, not one that's divisive and reinforces decades and centuries of bias and discrimination. We don't have a business without consumers and we need to take care of all of the consumers that comprise our customer base. And that's a significant responsibility for marketers beyond just achieving their sales targets. You both touched on a recurring theme in general marketing discussion. So I'm going to ask you as well, how do you see the role of the brand in contributing and shaping culture then? The brand is the vehicle for the people behind the brand, aka the marketers, to shape culture and society. And when I think about the difference between culture and society, it's a little more than a nuance, right? Society is kind of like the hierarchical way that people in North America are structured and live. It's equivalent almost of an organizational chart broken out on different dimensions like income and things like that. Culture is much more around the ideas, the internal identity, the creative outcomes. It's what we experience in the world. The two clearly work together. And if you think just about how much influence marketers 
and the brands that they promote have on our everyday lives. The products that we use, programs that we watch, the ads that we're exposed to, multiply that out across our small tight-knit networks and then multiply that out across our broader social networks. The influence is ubiquitous. It's hard to think of anything else besides sunshine and air that could have a broader impact on people. Just taking what you said, would you say that it's fair to categorize it as it's more than just the execution and what you show the world, but it goes deeper to your associations as a brand and what you stand for then? I would definitely agree with that. So I think to take it back and to really explain how we got here, one of my favorite Black American scholars is W.E.B. Du Bois. And he introduced early on this idea, something called double consciousness or a two-ness. And he used this term to describe the characteristics of, as Stephen mentioned, that internal identity, that internal struggle that Black Americans have with their true self and their perceived self. So it's important to think and to understand the history of how we got here. So while we look at how Black media evolved and how Black advertising evolved, it's interesting because there was more Black ownership in things like radio and, and that sort of thing, um, and less involvement from Black Americans in imagery and early imagery and early advertising. Most of it was done with white consumers in mind. Black Americans have been sort of left out of this narrative that's been about them. And so going back to W.B. Du Bois's double consciousness, as a Black American, you have these two conflicting identities. You have this identity that in a way that you see yourself within your community and then you have a way that you are perceived by mainstream media and by people outside of your community and what i think is important for marketers and for our clients to understand is that these consumers are aware of both so they're aware and, and can feel and can tell when a brand is trying to represent them in an authentic way that reaches their true self versus a brand that is using tokenism or using stereotypes or using now as a, a new phrase, woke washing. It's important that, that our clients and brands get this right because it seems as though, although we've evolved, that identity, that perceived self, while there are probably great intentions, many marketers are still building off of those images that were designed for white audiences. I'm honestly resisting the urge to go overly academic on this because I can see the, the value associated with resolving that cost we put on people and managing these two images. And if they didn't have to, how much easier it would be to exist. As you mentioned before, there's a history here, right? Like this is not a novel situation, a novel experience. Even the, the frameworks and discussions on correcting this issue 
is not novel. You described it as starting, you know, being introduced solidly in 2014. What is it about this moment in time and this period that makes it matter more? That's a great question. And I think that right now what's so interesting is that we have a lot of clients reaching out and asking, is this a moment in time? How should I invest in this? Is this long lasting? And I believe that this is just the tip of the iceberg because when we look at Gen Z and this new generation in the United States, 50% are non-Hispanic white. So you have this new emerging generation, which is not only leading this new movement, but they also have this unique experience in this country and they have a unique set of needs and they're so diverse and they're telling marketers now and signaling what's important to them moving forward. So while the current social injustice and, and the movement has started now, it's important for brands to really dig deep and do the self-reflection now because these are the consumers of the future. And this moment in time, until these issues are resolved, will continue to be something that Gen Z is going to fight for. It's a movement, not a moment. And you know, we could probably reverse engineer the past six months to understand why they seem to have caught up with the past or try and striving to catch up with the past couple hundred years. But what we know is that big things like pandemics create disruptions and disruptions are the seeds of accelerating underlying trends and currents. I have to think that COVID-19 created a dynamic such that the forces could come together. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To take something that Zoomers genuinely care about and give them the time, the platform, the media, you know, the smartphones to have a voice in ways that few movements or moments do. And my prediction would be that this is not the only marginalized community that's going to come forward and say, we demand more for marketers if you demand our business. In the Pulse study that we wrote that Melissa led on Color Bravery said that 73% of Black Americans feel that few brands genuinely care about them. Can you imagine 
three quarters of your customer base not feeling cared about. That's absolutely untenable business metric. That is very true and also like a devastating statistic. It should terrify anyone in business, period. And then combined with Melissa's point that what we're looking at is both a contextual and cultural, but also an underlying demographic tipping point. It doesn't look like, like you said, a passing moment that brands live through, but rather a turning point where different strategy needs to arise, right? So if I look at this and I start to observe, okay, like the movement as it's observed or reported appears to be slowing down, or there's a normalcy in discussion that starts, what happens next, especially for a business and a brand trying to engage with this world? What comes from this shift? First, brands really need to understand where they are on their color bravery journey. So it's important to really do some internal self-reflection and understand areas of strength and areas of opportunities within organizations and then also how their marketers are reaching these consumers, the messaging that they're putting out, and really be brave and be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. That's really where this is going to start, is we have to be aware and, and understand the issues that our consumers are facing, and then be brave enough to have those conversations. Because we're at a place now where we need to engage deeper to make to make that change. So I would say first that that's where brands should start in evaluating themselves. Brands want to have a voice, be relevant, say something. And in many times they don't know what to say. So they either say the wrong thing. I can think of one, the infamous Pepsi campaign. They can also say nothing. Like they really, they, they just, they put messaging out there, but it's so bland and, and muted that it has the same impact of saying the wrong thing. And I think we saw a little of that in the early stages of the COVID messaging. I would say is for brands to take a pause and recognize that their messaging, I keep using messaging just as a shorthand for all of their communications, can only be as diverse as the team that contributes to it. You know, that there's a big debate about how you get to equally balanced, diverse workforce and the amount of time that will take. But that doesn't mean that you can't create a team within your company of thousands of people that's diverse and representative of the consumer base. And, you know, that paired up with Melissa's point about listening and then being brave about what you learn, I think is what's next for brands. You know, we've heard from our clients that they're doing it. We can see it in, inside of Kantar that we're doing it. We're sharing stories about doing it. So while in the public media, it may feel like there's a bit of lull in the press coverage, I don't think that within any company that I've spoken with or within Kantar in particular, that there's a lull. It's important to have an authentic relationship with these consumers. So rather than brands feeling like they have to be the first to respond, they should be more concerned about their response being authentic. And I think what we've seen happen with the current social movement is that brands that were already invested in this group and that were already reaching out had an easier time putting out messaging 
that align with not only their brand purpose, but with their consumers. And I think that for brands, it's about finding that authentic way to talk to their consumers that matches that brand purpose and is well thought out and not rushed to just make a statement. I think you both touched on a very important and kind of known aspect of just management, right? Like we know managers tend to be risk averse, even if their brands are not necessarily risk averse. Feels like it's coming at a very high cost now of making some intelligent decisions about playing an important role in both culture and in their customers' lives and in creating value. And the fear of doing the wrong thing is keeping you from actually doing the right thing or to Stephen's point, just doing anything at all. How do I engage correctly then, uh, especially as you mentioned, like the, the future customers, this new Gen Z that exists in a new culture and a new world with a completely different racial makeup of specifically in the US, but honestly, quite globally as well. How do you engage with this shifting tide as a brand? The good news for brands is that Gen Z, you know, as, as one important example, is not just a set of consumers, they're also a set of employees. So there are people in our companies who are part of Gen Z um, and are probably already in management roles where they can you know, influence some significant decisions and lead teams and things like that. And particularly in the marketing industry, whether it's the agency community or the brand management community, or even to be a little self-serving, the research community, you know, we skew very young. Um, so we have a high proportion of Zoomers in our employee base already. So we, we already have that kernel, right, of, of people who represent the future generation or the current generation of consumers. So we can start to build around that. That would be my first response is let's identify people who we think really are going to be the change agents within our company because we can see them being the change agents in the world outside of our company. Let's look at areas where we can do things like product innovation to address some of those unmet needs. I think a great example of that would be Fenty Beauty. Let's look at the beauty industry and see, I mean, personally, before Fenty Beauty came out, I would have to mix foundations to find a color that fit me. It was something so simple as create more shades and that sort of innovation and being brave and stepping outside of the box, that's really where you're going to find opportunities to prove how strong you are to this new consumer base. listening to Future Proof. For all episodes and more information, visit Kantar.com or OxfordFutureOfMarketing.com. Please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. 
Thank you.